Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, I'm back from San Diego and only mildly sunburnt. Um, though I did spend literally an entire day sleeping when I got back, so I think that probably helped the recovery. H- how's how's it been in the non-San Diego world? Uh, it's been so-so. Um, just standard unemployment ups and downs. And boo! Yeah. Um, so just standard stuff um, and getting through the week, basically, has been my goal um, yeah. this week. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, this week in TV news, there's been uh, a lot of discussion of Netflix stuff because they have renewed Big Mouth for three more seasons, but they have canceled or not renewed... Uh, designated Survivor and Tuca and Birdie. Now, Tuca and Birdie is one that people are really uh, passionate about. I haven't watched it. Have you seen this one yet? No, I haven't watched any of it. But I mean, it's popped up on a number of like best of lists already this year um, mm-hmm. for best things so far this year. It popped up on a lot of those. Um, it also um, appeared on annoyingly appeared on IndieWire's very high up in IndieWire's um, best of the decade list, um, to which I went, that's that's a weird choice. Mm. But again, I haven't watched it, so I can't judge. But then they also had The Terror, which is a show you and I both love, like at like number 49, 48, or even like 50, which is like the initial cutoff for it, and just went... I really like the terror. I'm not sure it's a top 50 of the decade so far, IndieWire, but you do you. But no, a lot of people really like uh, Tuca and Birdie. I just haven't carved out time for it at all. Um, so I'm sad for those people who are upset or sad about this. Yeah, and it's certainly one that I will hopefully get to. I, I mean yeah. to get to it. It's an animated series following two birds, uh, yeah. for those who don't know. Um, and and so, yeah, some of the discussion around it has been really interesting. And I certainly uh, get where people are coming. You, you know how I felt about one day at a time getting canceled. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of really interesting programming at Netflix. But just because you're really good and on Netflix doesn't mean that they're going to renew you, which can be really frustrating. Um, yeah. Especially when they won't re- release their numbers, and y- even if they do, you don't really—I don't really believe them. <laughs> yeah. The numbers they do be- they do release, and so when they're trying to get cred for creating and sticking with, uh, or or just going for unusual, specific, unique shows that no one else would make, when they're then immediately canceling them, uh, or canceling them after a what seems like a truncated run. Um, that can be particularly frustrating because they're trying to get it's, it's like the HBO thing with Andrea Arnold where they're trying to get cred for uh, really embracing auteurs and unique points of view and then they cancel the show. <laughs> but but follow us for our next auteur that we're definitely going to treat better. Um, yeah. So that's that's disappointing to hear. Uh, meanwhile, over at Hulu, Handmaid's Tale got renewed for season four. And I don't think I know anyone who is still following that, who's not being paid to do so. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I only know critics who are watching Handmaids at this point. Um, Handmaid's Tale. And yeah, I remember starting season two and watching like four or five episodes. And then I just stopped and never came back to it. Yeah, I have not started season three and I do not miss it even a little bit. Uh, I was appreciative of the couple of pieces I saw floating around, though, in the last week or two about the white lady problem at the center of uh, Handmaid's Tale and the racial blind spots that we were talking about back with season one. Yeah, Um, no, a number of people were like very aware of it. And I was just like, well, it's been three seasons and they still haven't fixed this. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. I don't think they're gonna. But they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you if you're digging Handmaid's Tale though, that's great. I'm glad you're enjoying it. You're gonna get a season four. Uh, we will not get a season four of the reboot or renewal or whatever of Will and Grace. It is done three seasons, which is way more than any of us anticipated. Um, so it'll be done after this next uh, season. But Los Spookies, a show that I am still flummoxed as to why it was not at Comic Con, uh, but they got season two at HBO, and maybe maybe HBO will bring them next year. That would be cool. Uh, that that seems like a good idea. Yeah, it's just like right there. I don't know why they didn't, but anyways, uh, Keenan, Keenan Ivory Wayans is taking over as showrunner for The Last OG for season three, which I could not find. I did a little brief, like, investigative Googling uh, and could not find a specific reason as to why. I'm a little anxious about that just because I feel like the first two seasons have been so strong and they've been mostly uh, showrun by the same person. Um, but the hopefully hopefully the, the producers and the cast sound uh, excited so hopefully Wayne does a good job yeah that's like a knock on wood sort of thing but i mean uh keenan ivory Wayne's is pretty sharp for the most part i think so i'll be curious especially given the, the sort of shift that season two of last og very subtly took um, and then very full-throatedly took by the end of season two. I think Wayne seems like a good choice to carry through on that. Yeah, we will, I'm, sh- I'm sure, have thoughts once the new season premieres. Janelle Monet will be the lead for Homecoming season two. Now, is the Julia Roberts character going to be gone? Or is this like, what, do you, do you know much about this? Uh, no, I imagine that the Julia Roberts character is just going to be gone. Um, okay. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, yeah, no, this was, this was Homecoming did not work out for Julia Roberts in the way I think everyone thought it was going to work out for her. She didn't even get an Emmy nomination um, for Homecoming, which I think everyone expected, including her and Amazon and everyone involved, probably expected. Yeah, but you look so. at that Emmy category and it's freaking stacked. Yeah, no, the, the the that Emmy category is just all the Emmy, Emmy categories for this year are particularly ridiculous in terms of oh that's a lot of really good talent. Yeah, and so it was going to be hard to break through that, um, especially, but especially in miniseries movie, right? And especially also with the Amazon Prime show that not a lot of people probably saw, just even with Julia Roberts attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it also just did not get a lot of like press either yeah. in the run up or afterwards, which good probably reviews, good, you yeah. know, good reception from those who did see it. But, mm-hmm. you know, then the last bit of news we have here is that Doom Patrol has been renewed for season two at uh, DC Universe. And it's going to also be at HBO Max, which I think that's that's going to be huge for that show. 
Yeah, no, it is. This, it, Doom Patrol's been getting pretty decent notes for season one um, from people who are, like, keeping up with it. Um, including, like, critics who are not really paying attention to DC Universe um, too much because most critics don't care about Young Justice Outsiders. So this was, like, the only thing that was going to grab them. Um so, no, it's been getting good notes, but also the fact that it'll be on HBO Max is just deeply, deeply telling to me. Um, for those who aren't aware, HBO Max is what Warner Media is calling its streaming platform, and we should just devote an entire segment to discussing that. Um, but we're not going to. But it's interesting, and I'll be curious to see if DC Universe just gets folded into HBO Max. Once things start really getting rolling, because if so, then maybe we can watch Young Justice Outsiders, Kate. (laughs) Yeah, because we're not going to buy DC Universe. But if it's all on HBO Max, that's a very different conversation. Yeah. The uh, there's a bunch of other news at coming at TCAs, and I'm sure we'll have a few more things to talk about in that realm uh, next week. But we're also going to keep all of our Comic Con talk to the end of the podcast this week. My sister, friend of the show, Maggie Kalzik, is back to help us wrap up San Diego Comic Con 2019 and and all of our con coverage. That was super fun, and that'll be coming at the end of the at the end of the show here. But first, we have uh, our weekend TV, and and Noel, I know you're not watching Pose, but Patty Lapone is on post, uh-huh. and and they came up with an excuse to have her sing. Well, you you have to do that. That's the you law. You have to do that when you have Patty Lapone. Uh, so uh, we are going to take a break, and we're going to listen to Patty Lapone sing "I'm Still Here" because it's spectacular, as it should be expected. So we'll be right back uh, after this with our week in TV. Good times and bump times, I've seen them all, and my dear, I'm still here. Plush velvet sometimes, sometimes just pretzels and beer, but I'm here. I've stuffed the dailies in my shoes, strummed ukuleles, sung the blues. Seen all my dreams disappear, but I'm here. I've slept in shanties, guest of the WPA, but I'm here. Danced in my scanties, three bucks a night was the pay, but I'm that was Patty Lapone on Pose singing I'm Still Here. And it was a wonderful moment in a in an interesting and strong episode, I would say, of Pose. It's been a good season for them. And I'm glad that they followed up. I'll talk about this in a bit, but I'm glad they followed up the season one musical episode uh, or episode with a musical review. With a make by making that be a yearly tradition that coming came back in season two. Um, more on that in a bit, but first we're going to kick off our weekend TV with Grownish, Only Human, and Drunk History Behind Enemy Lines. Then I'm going to talk a bit about the finale of Big Little Lies and season two in general. The finale is I Want to Know. I'll talk very briefly, very briefly about Claws, Chicken Pussy, then Pose, Loves in Need of Love Today. And we'll round things out with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Leap and Queer Eye Season 4, which dropped on Netflix. So first up is Grownish. I caught up, and I'm totally with you on everything from the previous episode. And I'm also <laughs> totally with your little note here in our in our little uh, rundown. Um, 
that do you, well, take it away, Noel. How, how did right. you feel about this episode? So the episode's split in half as Aaron grapples with um, a uh, student Hawkins committing suicide. And the... Well, it's a bit... Yeah. Like, people worrying that he was going to. Yeah. yeah. And there's the discourse around that, basically. Um, and it's handled okay. Like, I think Gronish is kind of struggling with its social talking episodes, basically. Um, whereas this is a really good thing to highlight, especially when he goes to talk to, um, uh, Charlie, which again, it's really weird. Charlie works here and is the Dean that they go talk to about this stuff because it undermines a great deal of the dramatic oomph of certain scenes. Um, (laughs) as it does here, even though kudos to Dion Cole for finding the quiet truth underneath that but then it feels like a weird departure for charlie anyway but there's good discussions about social media representations societal um conversations about that on top of the larger things of black mental health representation and acknowledgement on college campuses and the difficulty of achieving those especially on predominantly white campuses and so I think that there's really good sort of discussions there and budgetary things and that sort of thing. All of that's good, but it also feels, again, dramatically borderline inert sometimes. And that hits particularly hard in this one. Um, it was also an issue in the uh, cultural appropriation episode where it was, because it was about Vivek, it was a little more motivated and felt a little more developed. Here, it's about a character we don't know, and it results in these... Also, again, like, I used the West Wing comparison last time, and I'll use it again here, but it also felt very much like the West Wing 9-11 sort of episode, where it's a lot of talking about this one topic and people giving different perspectives, but then struggling to find a thing to say. Um, so that that half of the episode was important, but also just never really found a gear for me. And that was that was sad. How did you feel about that half of the episode before I just roll my eyes really heavily at the Zoe half? <laughs> oh yeah. Much eye rolling about Zoe. We'll be we'll get there in a moment. I thought that the this half, you know, like you said, I appreciated that they they don't have a solution by the end of the episode. And that feels very true. And it feels like that's something the show's running up against quite a bit more, which is good and appropriate, but also hard to make a show centered on, you know, when it's, when it's blackish and you get the kids as the center, you can have the parents be like, well, we're going to do our best and I, we don't know if it's going to be okay, but we're going to try. And the kids can kind of accept that answer. And that makes sense in the context of that show, but over on Grownish, that doesn't really work and it's not satisfying. And so just saying, yeah, this is a problem and we don't know what to do about it. And there's nothing really you can do about it specifically uh, other than try to just be an activist, be aware, try to raise awareness, you know, in your dorm and talk to people. But there isn't a there isn't a magic wand. There isn't a donor who's going to show up with uh, who they're just going to convince with a impassioned plea to give them funding so that they can hire specific counselors for like the different dorms or just to raise uh more funds to 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 get more people in at the the mental health like 
offices or whatever at the clinic. So, yeah, it's inherently going to be dissatisfying because there is, like, this is one of those situations where there are clear things that they could do to help, but the people that are our protagonists don't have the power to do that. And uh, I like that they don't show... I mean, this is one of those times where having Charlie be the dean is a very different answer than the Chris Parnell character um, being the dean and saying, yeah, I understand that this is a problem and I respect that we don't have money for it. Uh, it would the, the same dialogue coming from the Parnell character would feel very, very different. So yes. it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I, on the scale of things, I thought that there were some nice nuances to um, when Luca thinks that Aaron is the one who they were worried about committing suicide. And he's talking about, no, I've had some really dark times, like the honesty of that and how they, this scene, especially yes. makes sense with Luca. He just, just sits in that. Yeah. Don't try to make anyone feel better. Don't try to explain it away. Don't try to reassure. But but now I'm good, you know. Um, that I think works really powerfully and is really nice. I also thought that the diffusing of that's like <laughs> that makes so much sense. I was wondering why nobody was talking. <laughs> Seems like it should be a bigger deal in the group. Um, I thought all of that worked really well. The uh, the dynamic when they're just having the house meeting with the no shrimp, um, or the dorm meeting with the no shrimp. Did it felt very after school special? Yes, um, getting beyond that first scene in a way that didn't work as well as I would have liked. Um, everybody opens up too easily. Everybody, um, to I don't know. There's just it just doesn't feel authentic at all. Um, so I, I, while it's a really terrific conversation to be having and to be spending some time on in this show, I think there there are ways they could have done it better. I think I felt like they just didn't want to like. It felt like the show thought giving these issues to a main character would be saddling them with too much baggage that they weren't willing to commit to. And I think that is really disappointing and short-sighted. So uh, it also, I think, just gives a really bad subtextual message about whose stories are important and whose stories are worth telling. And I think if they had instead given... Like, especially with what happens at the end of the episode, it looks like one of the twins is going to have a broken leg. And for someone on the sports scholarship, that's a real problem. Like, if they had introduced that some of these different, some of these characters had real issues around depression that they dealt with and they were part of their life, that could have been something that they could have in, 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 gotten into this topic more organically and then continued to develop over time. I think that's a really great point, and it um, it does the the fact that we don't know this person that um it's is, PJ right PJ yeah um I think yeah um undermines a lot of things but 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 Kate this is also the show that gave Zoe a Adderall Ugh. addiction and didn't do anything with it um, yeah so well, I literally don't trust them to give any sort of development. <laughs> To anything saddling, to use your phrase, someone with like an emotional arc and then doing anything with it. Because no, that's not this show. <laughs> oh, man. Like, okay, so that takes us perfectly over to Zoe. And remember when she had that Adderall addiction because she needed to get all A's and that's how she was doing it. And now she's on academic probation and she dropped the class and... Oh, God, it's really frustrating. I don't know why they've decided they can't let her just be a fashion major. 
I don't know why they've decided that that's not important enough or interesting enough for their main character, because it is. Um, and they don't spend time with them in class anyways, and they don't want to spend time with them in class anyways. Um, so having her make up her own major, uh, which is not a thing, and... Well, it's it's a thing, but in as a subfield of a yeah. pre-existing field, right? Um, so that's it's just really irritating because <laughs> if they don't trust her to just be in the pre-existing major, why would they possibly trust her to dis- to create her own major? Yeah. So all of this is just bad uh, and silly and ridiculous and makes me wonder if anyone has been to college mm-hmm. um, because yes plenty of universities offer a design your own major sort of course um, degree track I should say and you can sort it out and you can figure it out like a friend of mine basically designed her own major when she was after she transferred from the two-year college that she and I met at and the school that she went to she designed her own major got her bachelor's in that and that's what she has a bachelor's in so it happens it works but you design it based on the classes that are offered in a way that you built it out what Zoe has done is presented to a group of like eight professors the sociology of fashion as a major which is not a major it is a thesis for a sociology major to do for their senior capstone project, if your school has a senior capstone project. This means that she has to rope in multiple professors to then teach her and do like a two-year basic independent study about Mm -hmm. this one thing. And it's like, this is not how any of this works. And also, your point is really valid of she couldn't get into the school of fashion on either of the things because of these reasons, but they're going to let her design her own major. Uh-huh, no. So it's just, it's really ridiculous and it's really bad. And it's just like, this is a show that really does not care about the fact that any of these are people are in college, except when they want to care about when someone's in college, which isn't super often, especially this season. Um, Gestures were at least made in seasons one and two with people going to class. That does not happen here because they also do not have the budget for that now. Um, But it's just, it's really ridiculous. It's really silly. And I cannot wait for Zoe to flunk out of her own major. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just really irritating. The sort of what the show has done with Zoe around academia and academics, because I don't think they have earned her not being really smart and driven and focused on her schoolwork. Um, I don't think they've sh- we've shown enough of a shift in her personality from what she was like before when it was so important to her to be the best. Um, and so we've seen her struggle. We've seen her deal with being a big fish in a small pond and now being in the big pond. So, I mean, I get that part of it, but I just, it's, yeah, to, to, and, and like the notion that if she doesn't, she just needs to declare a major right now, why can't she just try again to like bring her up her GPA yeah. and declare a major next semester or yes. like, next there's year, no, like next year. There's no reason she can't plenty of people go the super senior track. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's anyways, just, it's well, because if she goes to super senior track, then all her friends will be gone and then she will have no one to talk to and there will be no show. 
I'm sure they won't happen to get a job right in town so they can still be on the TV show. That never yeah, happens. No. That never happens, especially on college shows. That never, ever happens. <laughs> well, Ugh. what did you think of Drunk History behind enemy lines? Uh, so this one was fine. This is two segments. Um, but mostly I wanted to highlight the fact that particularly for the second about Andrew's Raiders, which is a terrific story in and of itself. And it's told very entertainingly here. Were you familiar with Andrew's Raiders at all? Yeah, I was familiar with both like of these. A, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I knew all about Andrew's Raiders because the reference to uh, the general is near and dear to my heart. I love the general. It's a mm-hmm. terrific movie and just <sighs> Buster Keaton is made of rubber. <laughs> um, but um. The thing I loved about this episode was the props for the reenactments <laughs> of the 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 planes on sticks and not mm-hmm. even like trying to hide the sticks and like we're just going to show you the sticks and it's just that's good. It's not super effective, but it's good. But then for the Andrew Raiders using model trains and like a full on like done semi done train platform table type deal with like paper mache grass hills and all this kind of stuff i just went first of all i really appreciate your all dedication to this but also those things are also expensive but they're less expensive than trying to <laughs> stage a big train chase these days so it's like train sets are expensive but less expensive than doing all the actual train stuff because filming martin star in tennis shoes <laughs> um, during um, getting on and off trains is much cheaper than running those trains. So I just wanted to give them a really good shout out um, to this. Um, but I did think that the Andrew Raiders one in particular, I thought was really, really done well done and a little more kinetic than the, um, the Soviet female pilots, the night witches um, segment um, in part, just because you get those, better reenactments of a train mm-hmm. in action than you necessarily get with the night witches, which you can only do so much with that. But I really did appreciate the parachute. The parachute was the best bit of the night witches. Um, but how did you feel about this one? Yeah, no, it was fun. These are like you said, they're both very kinetic stories. They're very action packed. Um, the, the night witches are delightful. Like that, just that story is really fun. Yeah. And I would point anyone towards the stuff you missed in history class episode about, or I think it's even two parter about the night witches. Um, and, and I think the reason that the Andrews Raiders worked particularly well is that it's just more interactive, right? Yes. The, for the night witches, they're in a plane by themselves. So they don't yeah. really have people they can talk to. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with the Andrews Raiders, all the guys that are on the train can like look around and react and talk to each other. And so that just makes for a more engaging story. Um, but no, I thought these were both a lot of fun. And I feel like the drunk history has been stepping up their game a little bit after I was a little underwhelmed earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So these ones have been, these recent ones have been more fun. Remind me which one had the guest host was it whistleblowers or was it? Oh, a bunch of them have had guest hosts. Okay, but the one most recently that you mentioned had a guest host. Oh, Amber Ruffin. Yeah, was Which the guest one? host in the most recent episode? I don't so, remember whistle- the title. Yeah, wait, okay. whistleblowers was what it must have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, because I was going to watch another one and then I also fell asleep. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of falling asleep, I know a lot of Ruh-roh. people were not very excited about the Big Little Lies finale. I want to know, but I thought it was solid. I, th- I mean, I've been a lot uh, kinder towards Big Little Lies season two 
than I think the the average has been. And that might be because I came to season one late and really was impressed with it, really enjoyed season one, but didn't have the experience of like talking about it with lots of people and having that element of discourse since I was so behind I just binged it um and for me with season two so I haven't been missing that part of it I haven't been missing the oh but what's gonna happen mystery part the way that I'm I'm sure some people have been um it's not as nearly as strong as season one but I've just so enjoyed these performances that I haven't really minded too much and certainly um I think the the climactic courtroom scene with Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep is appropriately um hell yeah enough to to merit uh like the kind of stakes you need for a finale the the way that the season ends I thought I mean for me it was satisfying it it worked I actually would like to see a season three I'm curious of what's going to happen to these characters moving forward um but it just would be so low stakes compared to season one that I don't think anybody else wants to see it. I just kind of want to follow that because I, I so like these performances and I'm so interested in these characters. I just kind of want to follow them in their day to day. Like, and now we're going to go to Whole Foods or whatever, because, you know, they all shop at Whole Foods or even more organic, grosser than that. Um, and I like I so want to see Renata just like climb her way back to the top over the body of her useless and hopefully soon ex-husband. I mean, because who doesn't want to watch Laura Dern take a baseball bat to a train set? Come on. We all want to see that. We all want to see that all the time. It's so yeah. that's just sort of where I am with Big Little Lies, where it's nowhere near the phenomenon that season one was. But I just don't really care if I get to spend time with these actors. So I don't anticipate a season three happening, especially with the whole Andrea Arnold uh, kerfuffle. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was bad and HBO should feel bad and they should look bad. Um, which well, they do. That became like my thing of like this is like for season three, for a hypothetical season three, what indie filmmaker, woman filmmaker do you want to come in to do season three and then have all their creative control taken away from them in post production? Yeah, Who maybe, would you like to see have maybe that just <laughs> hire the guy that you wanna hire? Yeah, but no, no, no. He's busy doing Sharp Objects season three, so he's not available. Yeah, well, (laughs) then go fuck off. Yeah. Um, Also, my idea for season three, and I don't know if you saw this or not. I had an idea for season three. Ah, Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So when I found out that Pretty Little Liars will be leaving Netflix tomorrow, um, but and will not be available again to stream until it ends up on HBO Max. Big Little Lies, Pretty Little Liars crossover event. Big Little Liars? Big Little Liars. And as a friend of mine pointed out, Renata has two A's in her name. So. That's that's true. Your mind is already blown. It's already out there. Yeah. 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 That's what (laughs) I think should happen. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, listeners, let us know what you want to see in season three of Big Little Lies or season one of Big Little Liars. Yes. Okay, over on Claws, this week we had Chicken Pussy, um, which was a really funny scene where that title comes from. However, I just like, this is a spoiler. Yeah, no, it's fine. I don't think I'm going to watch anymore, so go ahead and spoil away. So I really like some of the developments in this episode, and it's a really Desmond Dean-centered episode in a good way, Mm -hmm. which is terrific. So I I felt like, oh, they're back on track again. 
And then they bury their gaze and they oh, kill Arlene no. and and it really pissed me off and I get why but at the same point you could have killed a bunch of different people and you chose to kill Arlene because quiet and I just guess can never be happy. Yes. Um and that's really really upsetting um especially cuz it's just been so lovely to finally see her be a little happy. Just for a few episodes, because it literally has just been like two or three um, in the whole run of the show where she's actually like in a good place con- comparatively. And mm-hmm. that really sucks. So I'm pissed off at Klaus. Yeah. Next week's episode is directed by Carrie Preston. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. But um, we'll see if I come back. Yeah. 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 Let me know. I'm probably yeah. not. I think I'm done. I okay. ca- I had time to watch Claws this week and kept going. No, but I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah. Um. Over on Pose, we had the big pray tell episode, is Billy Porter's Emmy episode, and uh, where his character has a negative reaction to AZT and has to get rushed to the hospital. Um. And fortunately, it's not his HIV that is causing his quick deterioration. It's the it's a negative reaction to AZT, which then if they get all of that, if they can get it out of his system, he'll recover probably, uh, you know, until his HIV progresses into AIDS. Um, so it, it's a way for them to do a big dramatic character. Seems like they're dying, but then they don't actually die episode. And I think some parts of this worked really well. Some parts of it were really over the top, but I think that's intentional and they were effective in that way. Um, it's trading in some of the, like the, the camp or the just like, like, all, like, just overly emotional overwrought melodramatic kind of style of storytelling um and doing so very intentionally in a way that i think is effective um but it's very stylized it's certainly not for everyone but the other part of this episode is the big uh the yearly uh aids cabaret where Mm -hmm. they they're raising money for for aids research and uh, charities and so they get performances as previously heard by patty lapone mj rodriguez gets to have uh, another song and billy porter crushes it as well and then comes in to duet with rodriguez uh they, <laughs> they give electra her own song that she um powers through uh unfortunately character is not a good singer don't know about the actor character is not a good singer uh and they also give sandra bernhardt a song too so oh, it's just nice. yeah it's just fun and I, I appreciate them blending these two storylines, like taking a heightened emotional state for Praytel and giving him this like fantasy moment for his big song, and then pairing that with as he's recovered with the the everything else too. Um, so the 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 AIDS cabaret was, I think, for me the emotional high point of season one. That episode was really really powerful and beautifully done. Um, and so for me, I think like some parts of this worked better than others. Um, but the, the parts that really worked, really worked and having the Patty Lapone character go, who's the, she's the, um, the landlord for the MJ Rodriguez character's salon who tried to kick her out, but squatters rights means that she can't, <laughs> or tenant rights means she can't. And so she delays, she takes, she goes to the AIDS cabaret, she sings, and then takes Rodriguez out to a long, a lengthy lunch afterwards 
to as with this newfound respect she has for her as a businesswoman and how it's amazing that you threw all this together so that her her people could empty out the store board at the windows and change the locks i was like yep that makes way more sense <laughs> that is uh really good and i look forward to what's gonna come next for that storyline because there's some I, you know it's not just over like I would have anticipated. Um, there's a lawsuit pending and some other, and some protests and some other things happening that uh, should be really interesting. But having like, we need to have Patty Lapone seeing, okay, but Patty Lapone's character really doesn't like this character. Why would she possibly do it? Ah, to delay her and keep her there so that they can close down her shop. That I'll give you that. That's good. <laughs> that's good writing. No, that sounds really smart. And now poses poised to do rent their version of rent <laughs> <laughs> something yeah. yeah 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 we'll see what comes next uh but i'm also interested in what's going to come next over on agents of shield uh leap and this is i gotta say i we've seen plenty of shows do this like body hopper the thing yeah. kind of possession storyline who's the real version who's the real character and who's been you know taken over kind of thing and i feel like this is one of the better ones i've seen in a while i thought they did a good job what did, what did you think of leap well, first of all, uh, we should pour one out for Davis, who's actually dead now. <laughs> yeah, he not shriked, but he had been uh, possessed. Yes, and was very yeah. tired afterwards. And that's yeah. why he was just kind of blah at the party. But now now he is dead. Um, no, I think that all the Eisel possession stuff was actually really, really good. In part because... Everyone play doesn't play themselves. Eisel pl- trying to play them. It's always just... Eisel, mm-hmm. vaguely trying to pass themselves off as normal. Yeah. She's not a good actor. <laughs> no, she's not. And it's just like, I really appreciate the dedication to this as a, no, it's just, it's just Eisel. She doesn't know these people well enough to pretend to be them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to try to get by. But then this whole concept of doing that I'm in full control and like, I can do all this stuff to them. And I can also just almost push them over an edge and then step out of them so that they finish. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, I think it's really good. It's really smart in terms of not having to go through the same motions of the body possession type thing. And also Max showing some genre savviness of locking Yo-Yo and Quake away so that they can't get possessed. And it's just like, no, we're not going to let this happen. I'm not doing this. I'm not letting them, I'm not letting this happen. And then it happens anyway. Yeah. But that whole scenario is just like, oh, this is why Max in charge. Because he's <laughs> deeply, deeply sensible for the most part. Because he's um, read a book, you know? Yes, he and watched some horror movies. He knows how yeah. this goes. Um, so all of this is really good, and I liked I liked that. The answer to what Sarge is and what Isil is doesn't really interest me. I like that they gave one. I like that they gave one, and I like that it's still tied up in Shield's mythos. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that. Like, I like this idea that the monoliths are S.H.I.E.L.D.'s infinity stones, basically. <laughs> of, like, one's about time, one's about space. And I just went, you sons of bitches, if there's three more of those fuckers around <laughs> here, I'm going to be deeply amazed. Since time and space are actual infinity stones, <laughs> I was kept waiting for, like, them to go, oh, this one's reality. And then they just pulled it out and went, creation? And I just went, slow clap. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> Slow clap on just being like, we're going to do our own Infinity Stones. 
Um, but yeah, so no, the, the, this answer is tied up in a mythology that Shields has spent a massive amount of time dealing with across multiple seasons with these uh, with these monoliths. I really appreciate it. It's silly. It's nonsensical. But it makes sense within the realm of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I'm willing to give it to them. Um, so how did you feel about Leap um, overall? I've, I'm really excited for the last three episodes of this season. I think they've done a really terrific job of setting up their endgame. The, the, <laughs> setting up the last... Ah, time. I see what you did there. I didn't intend We're to. in the endgame now, Kate. <laughs> that word has been ruined. Which is disappointing because it's a very useful word mm-hmm. for a serialized TV. Um, so th- they've really set up the last push to, to the finale very well, and uh, I'm I'm intrigued with what's going to happen next. Uh, I feel like I kind of already know where they're going to go with Sarge, and it's going to be to turn him into Coulson ish. Yes, and uh, with but now with superpowers, <laughs> um, so we'll see what they do to to nerf him because he'll be too powerful. If they don't, so yeah. I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to what the this last chunk of episodes is going to bring for us. And uh, yeah, I thought that the there was a good blend of mystery and suspense, and I thought the characters acted in ways that made sense and fit with what they knew. You know, nobody was being an idiot to help the plot. Yeah, uh, for the most part, you you are not faster than the being that can randomly possess anyone. No, nope. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I thought that there was a lot of like the kind of storytelling you hope for in these types of episodes, and it was mm-hmm. an example of this type of episode, very well executed. Um, and that's all, all I'm going to ask for. Is it fun? Yeah. Did they do a good job? Do the characters acting in a way that makes sense? Did we get some answers? Yeah, works for me. Yeah, yeah no, it's a big, it's a big like check plus plus sort of episode. That takes us to. Uh, our last episode here or season which is query season four and check plus plus i feel like is a good starting point um and actually may even be stronger than i feel about the season i have complicated feelings about this season of query and it i think you could boil them down to overall i'm disappointed um but i'm curious what you thought because i was expecting to see more questioning takes on this season when I did some Googling for reviews and stuff and I can't seem to find them. So it might just be me, but uh, there were a number of really questionable decisions I thought this season from Karamo especially, but from several of the, the, the Queer Eye team. And uh, yeah, I'm dubious as to whether they're going to be able to, like whether this is a, a fumble or whether this is a sign for where the show is headed. I think it's more a sign of where the show's headed, headed, and for a couple of reasons. Um, when you were googling, did you find that Cosmopolitan review of this season? I don't think so. Okay, so a couple of different like tracks, but yes, the weird lack of discussion, particularly around disabled, but not really, which is the second episode of this season. Yeah, um, where in Karamo corrals our hero Wesley into having a large discussion in a coffee shop with the man who shot him and this um then like resulted in him being in a wheelchair um through the shooting um that's not great and it's 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 really really bad yeah and because of the fact that you can't devote an entire episode to that discussion it's 
about three minutes, which is longer than I think anyone had. And what the one thing that I did find about it with Karamo talking about it was the fact that it was more than they were he was expecting to get in the edit for this. Um, to which I go, why did you want to do this in the first place? I understand why the big capital W why you wanted to do this, but this is not the show for that. Also, you don't get to decide that this is what this person is ready for. You've just met them. You are not their therapist. You are not involved in their life. You parachuting in to have two conversations, spend a week with this person, and then decide you should re-traumatize them by by forcing them in, like, through social pressure into a conversation with the person who shot them, the person that they actively do not want to speak to, but don't feel like they can say no to you about. Like, right. that is very bad, and you should know better. And the only reason you're doing this is because you know it's going to make good TV, and that completely undermines everything you say that you're doing. Right, and he, in this interview I read, makes mention of the fact that Wesley, very continuously throughout the process, basically until they walk in the door, um, well, go through the door, um, is like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And at any point, he could have backed out. And then it's like, well, we're here. Do you still want to do this? And it's like, no, but yes. It's just it. the way that it comes off is very much the fact that Wesley at any point could have backed out, wanted to back out, but then just kind of kept move, wavering back and forth about what this was. And I think that a lot of this gets down to the fact that, especially in season four, that they have figured out how to use Karamo effectively insofar as use his background as a licensed social worker. Um, And they figured out a way to do that as opposed to the stuff in which he takes you to go (laughs) ziplining to face your fears. And it's like, that is not a thing. This is really weird. Um, But this is also really bad. I understand the impulse, but this is something you build to over the course of a long stretch of time through extensive guided and assisted therapy. Um, this is not something you do, like you said, when you parachute in for a week while Bobby is making over your apartment. <laughs> um, so I think that this is where the show's going, especially given how they use Karamo in like Stoner Skates By. This is episode three where Karamo and John go and talk and John opens up about the fact that He's depressed. He's taking antidepressants or some sort of medication for this, but maybe it's working, maybe it's not working, but also that John is not talking about this to anyone. The degree to which that this works as a moment is better than what happens with Wesley in Disabled But Not Really, because it's him opening up to someone, a stranger who's literally a safe person, to open up to about this. And then Karamo can provide tools and encouragement to discuss this with his ex-wife, which is something he needs to do um, because it's important as a co-parent type of deal and about how he is parenting overall and how this gets depicted within uh, Sterner Skates By. Um, that, I think, is a better use of Karamo's skill set. But again, it's just one of those things where that is the correct way to use Karambo, not staging what essentially amounts to an A&E style, TLC style intervention 
type of deal, which is what the moment in Disabled But Not Really ends up feeling like and has that exploitative quality of those intervention type shows. Yeah. I mean, and I really appreciate the way they've pivoted his role on the show. I think mm-hmm. that is appropriate. It's a much better use of him. It's a much better like aspect of these makeovers to examine and yes. to take to, to, to incorporate. I think that's great. But that is not okay. Like just like the way he's just not listening to the hero the whole time is for someone who is theoretically trained and licensed and has worked as in social work and has a, a understanding and, and awareness and respect for therapy. You should know better. And the only reason you wouldn't know better uh, is if you were will- being willfully ignorant. Uh, there was some, there was a really good thread I was following on Twitter of someone who is uh, disabled. I think, I think, I think it was an African-American man who is in his thirties, who's disabled. Uh, talking about reacting to this episode and uh it was really telling and really interesting and basically most of it was this is all trash except bobby bobby's the goddamn best and he can stay um but which i thought was it was very interesting to follow that perspective and i was hoping to see more uh, discussion around some of these episodes and that was a big one uh the other one thing about the season for me while i really enjoyed um the premiere i thought that was super fun uh the casting was kind of trash this season like it was a real problem for me uh for example i don't think it's cute to have on the guy who's just you know who's, who's just needs to grow up <laughs> Who's borderline like child neglect and in how he's parenting his kid. Like that's not like I'm not rooting for that guy. It's not like, oh, he's, you know, could do better and he keeps doing Eggo waffles. It's like, no, literally he's in bed asleep while his nine year old cooks breakfast. And that's been happening long enough. Right. That this is it's been this much of an issue or the guy, the veteran who changed his first diaper on his third kid or like. Like these were people that had that are interesting subjects, but have serious issues and are the kinds of issues that a one week makeover is not gonna do, not gonna help, not gonna take you know be enough for. Like watching the one with the veteran um, who keeps burying himself in his work due to his guilt over over having been uh, discharged from the from I think it was Iraq, right? Uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, you could see that the wife was dis- distant and not engaging in this because she doesn't think it's going to last. And she, and this is what she needs. She needs this kind of support. She needs her husband to be there and to help her raise their three kids. Just like he's saying he's gonna, but she doesn't believe it's going to stick. So she's not letting herself, you know, really enjoy that and, and, you know, accept it. And I don't blame her because I also don't think it's going to stick. Um, and, I mean, there, there's a difference between giving someone a nudge and or helping someone through a particularly tricky day or moment, right? Like AJ, helping AJ who wants to come out to his stepmom or helping the, you know, the couples in the preseason who want to get back together with their ex or wants to propose to their significant other like that. This works perfect for that. But these kinds of serious longer term issues like 
dad's been depressed for long enough that literally he's never cooked me a meal ever. Like that's, that's not something that you do a light, gentle uplift makeover show about. Yeah. And I think that there's a weird split, particularly with the season of the heroes. Like, Five out of the eight of them are involved in some sort of community or charitable or nonprofit pursuit. Mm-hmm. And then the other three are folks, basically. Um, yeah. To a certain degree, like Brandon works for a, who's the military vet that you were referencing, works for a uh, foundation that provides tiny home housing, basically, for vets. Um, and so kind of splits the difference of this guy has serious issues that no one is addressing, um, and that he is not addressing and that all need to be addressed. Um, and then John, the stoner who skates by episode, um, like you said, just has serious depression that he is getting some treatment for, but is not doing, is a does not have the support system in place and he he himself is maybe not doing enough as well in terms of who he's talking to and how he's talking. Um, And it just results in the shining a light on the limitations of what this, what these kinds of shows do and can do. Um, And what specifically this show can do as well. Like, Farm to Able, as much as that episode is just generally kind of boring and exhausting to Mm -hmm. watch, is a good example of what this is about. All right, you want to start a business to save your farm. We can help you with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in fact, we will. But we won't engage with your your coded homophobia at all. Right. Weirdly. And Farm to Able is a really good example of the Cosmopolitan episode, um, Cosmopolitan piece that I referenced, um, asked you about, because they wrote a really kind of searing, not searing, it wanted to be searing, but it wasn't well written enough to be seared, uh, review that basically said that Queer Eye has sold out. Because when season one premiered, it was like 2016, um, well, 2018 rather, um, and we were in the throes of figuring out, it was shot probably in 2016, 2017, um, figuring out what the post-2016 landscape looked like and very specifically engaging with, in back in season one, you'll remember like the Trump, the Trump supporter type stuff and engaging that and having a discourse about that. And then the, exposing tolerance and diversity basically to people who need it. Um, was the thrust of what this the reviewer over at Cosmo thought that the show should really be about and really kind of tackle, and that this season skirts around all of that into a more safer, uplifting people who are already doing good type of deal, um, and not really tackling an idea of diversity um, and exposing people to tolerance, aside from Matt, who does, again, like you said, a lot of coded homophobia type stuff. Um, that is barely coded as well. Um, the degree to which I agree with that in would like to see that is debatable because I don't really feel like these people need a platform. Um, and don't really shouldn't in, th- in this particular show should not have a platform. So, th- but I also understand like 
that desire to see queer eye push forward a discourse kind of a concept. Um, but I think that this show, because of its production cycle, is always playing catch up with itself. And I think that comes through really hard in season four of what is this show? How do we make it work? What are we trying to do and say? Even down to like, especially across season four, everyone keeps encroaching on Karamo's territory this season. Antony especially is just like, I want to talk about my mom and I want to talk about my dad. And it's just like, Anthony, maybe you should talk to Karamo about this <laughs> instead of talking to everyone else about it. Um, because I, there's there's a heavy push to try to personalize everyone, I think, except for Bobby, who's all of Bobby's stuff this season is like off screen. He's just like, man, I'm doing so much work that no one's paying any attention to. But I get these two people who know how to build things. And by God, I'm getting some screen time this this week. Um <laughs> And I think that that's the tension that the show is trying to figure out is what it is, what it wants to be, what it wants to say. It doesn't want to help people who are doing good and just need that little bit of extra help. Or does it really want to like do a full on makeover for people who have serious issues? And the answer is that it should just be doing the first one and def- sidestepping or not doing the second one. I get the desire to do stuff like John and Brandon in terms of trying to help them with very specific issues. But again, the neoliberal makeover sort of show is not equipped to do that. It's equipped to provide a Band-Aid. It's equipped to provide a temporary fix. It is not equipped to provide a long-term fix. And that's where like a three-month-later type of thing has this continued. Because we get a three-month-later sometimes when Mm -hmm. it provides a positive sort of thing. But we don't get it a follow up in things where you really desperately need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, I think they got the mix best so far in season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but really, the season felt specifically engineered to let's make the audience cry. Yes, everybody talks about how they watch the show and they just cry, yeah. and so that's what that's what we should do. And everyone's going to do that. Yeah. I did not cry once this season. <laughs> no. Well, I didn't care about most of the people enough to yeah. engage with them like that. You know, like some of them I did really enjoy, but like others, I just was like, you're going to like, do you see how much work Bobby is doing? And for this person, I mean, come on. Um, but no, and in or just I just felt uncomfortable by the notion of the, some of these people being followed around by a camera. It's like, who's, is it? Brandon, who has never let the kids sleep in a different room because he's so worried that they're going to like something's going to happen to them. Right. No, this is a PTSD issue that needs to be addressed. Yeah. This isn't like maybe if you just fix up his bedroom, he'll be. No, this is like serious issues. This is a psychological. Serious. Yeah. 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 And joking that stuff off with, yeah, we haven't had sex in a while. Well, maybe if you kick the kids out and it's just like, yeah, no, maybe if you did move the kids into the room, but also there's a reason he wants them to sleep in there. Yeah. There's a reason he can't sleep if they are in a different room. And it's because yeah. he's worried that they're dead somehow. Yeah. You know, like he's, yeah. Um, and joking about this doesn't make it better. Yeah. Um, I will say though that, uh, I really didn't, oh, probably one of my favorite thing of the entire season. Mm-hmm. Was that gorgeous mural 
in yes. the Latina uh, the, the Latina Arts Festival, uh, like Mexican office. Arts Fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was gorgeous. And uh, obviously, Bobby doing hero work all season. I really liked Kenny's uh, makeover too, though I think that they were completely like the, they were they were they missed the mark on the clothes for that one. There's nothing wrong with him. Like, yeah, get him a suit. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But, like, there were a few people that after their clothes makeover, I was like, they look worse. They look old and they look worse. Yeah. Why is why is he wearing, like, like old man pants up to, like, his mid-chest, right? And also yeah. there's no reason he works at a bowling alley. There's no reason he can't wear a sports shirt. There's nothing wrong with that. Just get him some newer, clean ones. Yeah. Come on. Um. No, though I will say that, like, my partner and I were both like, you shouldn't shave off Kenny's mustache. Why are you going to do that? And then it's like, oh, no, Jonathan was right. Jonathan he looks right. he looks so much better without that mustache. But Jonathan is right a lot this season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is not something I've said in the previous seasons, but he's mm-hmm. very right for most of this season. Uh, but the other Jonathan related thing I will say is that that Michelle Kwan cameo was not for that little girl. That was for Jonathan. <laughs> well, Jonathan is friends with Michelle Kwan. She, okay. she has been on his podcast. They have skated uh-huh. together. Uh, yes, that was pretty amazing. Uh, and I mean, even just, you know, it was a nice thing to do for that little girl because, yes. uh, you know, she's had to deal with, with her dad having a rough go of it for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Watching him try to give her pointers on skating, it was like, no, I mean, I get you're trying to connect and that's sweet and all, but you don't know about this. Yeah. She's the expert here. Not Michelle Kwan, though, obviously. But I mean, your 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 daughter is the expert here of the two of you. So just stand there and go, yay. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Anyways, yeah. any other thoughts on this season? Um, I mean, I'm glad that we've leaned away from French talks being mm-hmm. like a thing that we keep mentioning. Um, though he does keep doing them he does keep doing them but he doesn't like them he doesn't keep like keep saying well we'll just do a quick french tuck here um because now it's just parodied at this point if you keep doing it um i will say that like the degree to which people's what everyone brings to the table is always really fun to see um like with wesley who's in the disabled but not really episode it's like all right bobby's gonna rebuild your entire apartment mm-hmm. to be wheelchair accessible and it looks amazing and anthony's, it's life-changing and it's life-changing anthony's gonna bring your rotisserie chicken <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna chop some vegetables and it's like um, first of all, that counter is a little too high for him. Why aren't you doing this at the table? <laughs> Second, it's Are a rotisserie ho- chicken. <laughs> is Bobby getting paid more? Because he yeah. certainly seems like he's working more. Um, yeah, so it's just like the disconnect between some of that stuff is really, really amusing. But I will say, I would very much like to know what Bobby's obsession with plants was this season. <laughs> That's one of his things. Because they were everywhere. Plants, dark um, blue, bright white. Yeah, no, I'm used. To, I'm used to the dark rooms, but the plants were just everywhere, and I just went, "Oh God, Kenny's going to kill all those plants." I hope those <laughs> plants are dead or fake, because he's yeah. going to kill all of them. They're just going to die. <laughs> that just reminded me. I loved like one of the highlights for I think it was Karamo, right? This season was getting Kenny the dog. 
Yeah. That oh, was, that was very close to a cry moment. Because, that was perfect. Yeah. That was exactly yeah. what he needed. Yes. And I was reading the situation. And that's the kind of, like, that is a long-term help and fix that yes. he just needed a nudge for. Yeah. It's exactly what the shows should be doing and exactly yeah. the kind of help that Karamo can give in, in this yeah. like kind of setting. Yes. No, I think that's a really, really good point. And yeah, the stuff with Jonathan's music school, uh, music choral teacher was fun and silly. And I, I'm sure everyone appreciated just doing endless breakfast club riffs. <laughs> well, I just can't imagine. I know the work that goes into doing one of those jobs. I can't imagine the hours of doing all of them. Um, and just the, the the sheer joy of cutting off the mullet, and you like, and there's only so much Jonathan could do because the front was too short, you know. Yeah. So he couldn't actually give her a good haircut, but yeah. he could give her a better one. Yes, but oh man, that teacher's lounge. I really hope that the show is going to continue to provide like replacements for that because the school district certainly is not going to provide them a new refrigerator when that new, that really nice one starts having problems or those three new microwaves. So I really hope that the show or Jonathan will be providing, it will be budgeting in because that teacher's lounge, a amazing, but B will, will receive absolutely no report from support from the County or the district. (laughs) While it lasts though, how glorious. How glorious. Oh, man. Oh, man. There's going to be fights over those massage chairs, and it's going to get mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> teachers... going to be a thing. Teachers get mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, on that note, <laughs> what wins your week in TV? Um, let's see. What does win my week in TV? Let me flip back over to this. Um... I think I'm going to give it to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, though I did really enjoy Jane's episode this week in terms of a number of the things that it checked off. Um, but I know you also wanted to mention Jane, so um, I think I'll give it to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for just really definitely handling a body hop episode. But uh, tell me about your week in TV. Um, well, I'm going to give some love to Pose, but uh-huh. also Jane the Virgin, which I thought did a really terrific anti-penultimate episode, which was also sort of a penultimate episode. Just the last two are going to be back to back yeah. Um, for chapter 98. And like, yes, there's some very unbelievable things that happen, but it's a telenovela after all. So I think we're <laughs> but, okay with that. But they killed Rose by dropping her just like, what's his name, dropped in the first episode. And I just went, yes. I'm here for that. Also, that all works. this all this bad green screen because we apparently could not afford to actually shoot <laughs> this press party, but we're going to green screen the hell out of it. And also the Esteban stuff was chef's kiss really good. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's definitely good. I don't know what they're going to do for two more hours. No, but I'm re- based on everyone's reactions to the finale. I'm really here to find out. Yeah, there have been it's been very positive from the yeah. people who have seen the screener. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I also want to just throw a little interesting nod to Archer 1999 um, because they have their finale next week, and this episode, Cubert sees uh, Archer get like uh, I don't know something happens, he goes space mad or something where he starts glitching and seeing the original versions of the characters. Ooh, uh, interesting. So, so that's he's coming out of his thing, maybe. Oh, Maybe or yeah. who knows? So right. I'm really I'm I did not expect to be interested to see the finale, but that's that's going to be like part two and kind of pay off that storyline. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm actually interested in the Archer finale in a way I have not been all season. So that's certainly uh, something I will be eagerly 
sitting down for next week. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment to let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find our M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed in Apple uh, Podcasts. And we are both up on Twitter. And we're also, oh, did I say? We're up in Stitcher as well. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews, both at Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. And then we're both on Twitter. Uh, I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks for a great week. Thank you. Um, oh, I should also mention I was a guest on Hall of Faces this week to talk about uh, SpongeBob SquarePants and the best characters from that show. Do you have a pick? I don't because here's the thing. I've never watched SpongeBob really consistently. Well, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I, I think it's been on for 20 years. I haven't watched it consistently either. Yeah. But we do have a lovely conversation, so I'll link that out when it goes live. It should be, like, on Monday. Um, mm-hmm. But that was super fun. So thank you to Clint and everybody over at Hall of Faces for that. But now we're going to throw to our Comic-Con wrap-up. Um, and welcome back, friend of the show, Maggie Kalsik, to help us look at Comic-Con 2019, uh, the highlights, the lowlights, and, uh, you know, what our takeaways are. So we'll be right back after this. The night is bitter. The stars have lost their glitter The winds grow colder And suddenly you're older And all because of the man That got away No We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick and friend of the show, Maggie Kalsik, my lovely sister, is back because it's time for our San Diego Comic-Con 2019 wrap-up. And Noel, I'm going to turn over the floor to you um, to ask us whatever you would like to ask us about our Comic-Con experience. So, so what would you like to know? What would you like to hear about? I'd like to hear about all the good cosplay you hopefully saw. Like, did anything really stand out in particular this year? Yeah. yeah, well, Maggie, I feel like there was a massive highlight for you on Thursday. Oh, yeah. You know, and maybe I can share the picture with Kate and we can put it in put the it link. Up, but, yeah, um, in the post. yeah, there was some real, really sweet um, SpongeBob cosplay. Uh, it was a group. And there was, yeah, I mean, they were really, I mean, they didn't even look like people because the costumes like the. It was like mascot style. It was, yeah, it was really tight. It was really well done. Um, Wasn't, did you see that Patrick uh, cos, cos, cosplay had like hydro- hydraulics or something? Yeah, yeah. What? Oh, so there, yeah, there was something going on. So there was uh, SpongeBob, Patrick, uh, Sandy, Mrs. Puff, uh, Mr. Krabs, and Squidward. And um, yeah, and then they were no, all together. Gary, how dare. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. you know. Meow. But um, so then at one point, uh, Patrick was there and he just stopped and kind of did like a pose and he went zoop, zoop, zoop. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know if he was like actually, I felt like he was actually getting taller because his like legs kind of stretched, which uh-huh. was funny because they didn't look 
they didn't look wrinkled at all before so maybe it was just like a fold right at the ankle that you couldn't see but yeah then he like kind of elevated and got taller and then he was taller than everyone else just like not crazy like a little bit though like probably like five four five inches which you know so that's still a good that's still a good amount i would i would i would be very happy to have an additional four to five inches (laughs) yeah i'll take it right yeah just like let's work with this reaching shelves and the like mm-hmm. um yep. <laughs> the grocery store um the, the the overall cosplay situation i felt like was it, we were commenting on this we we're discussing this at the con i felt like it was there was more on average than in some of the more recent years but it was like your more uh con only low-key cosplay so not like the serious cosplayers but just like oh let's grab a wig real quick and i'll throw on a vest and i'll be this character okay sure kind sure, of thing. sure sure which is super fun don't get me wrong i'm not downplaying that that's a cool way to do it there was quite a bit of daenerys lots of spider oh my gosh no there was a da- oh this was so cute um there was a daenerys who she had her like little tiny uh like two-year-old son who had a dragon costume on mm-hmm. she yeah. was okay sure yeah the mother the mother of, of dragons, dragons. Yeah. yeah that was super cute yeah um quite a number of spider-verse characters a different lot. peters um which was cool well that peter costume of the one in the sweatsuit is just like how can you not do that you just go to a con in sweatsuit <laughs> we definitely sweatpants. saw sweatpants yeah we did peter. uh we saw hoodie peter or, or i should say hoodie miles and yeah. um and a bunch of us so those were those were really neat um quite a number of adorable little captain marvels yay um, and like fabulous looking not little uh captain marvels any any anything else come to mind Matt? um yeah there was a lot yeah there's a lot of spider man like spider verse and um, there were uh, a number of like group where they were like all different spider-man which was cool we said there was a lot of little marvel uh woman women girl. wonder woman captain not marvel. wonder captain marvel that's yes. um and then there was also a lot of uh spider gwens and like little baby spider gwens like oh girls doing that as well it was very it was very cute i I saw several shuris as well uh also super Mm -hmm. adorable um in the in their mini versions um (laughs) there were fewer like spectacular yeah there there was fewer definitely fewer like spectacular but the there were some on sunday but but most of the rest of the con was pretty low-key on that front, I thought. Um, but no, I, I, w- I was enjoying the cosplay that we saw. Um, and I definitely the- feel like there was more. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, bad. It wasn't, like, yeah. God, you're not even trying. It was yeah. just, like, normal people cosplay. Yeah. What's always but interesting. Solid normal people cosplay. A lot of people dressed up as if they should be working at superstores, what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. did we, I, don't, I didn't see anyone. That would, that would be a good no, one to it's, do. It's a superstore reference. Because Maggie still hasn't seen Superstore. No, but I know you're talking about wearing <sighs> that blue vest. No, right? no, yeah. she, no, he's not. He's talking oh. about on Superstore, they had a costume contest. <laughs> well... So if you had seen it, you would... Well, if it were on Netflix, I would have. <laughs> but it's on Hulu. I don't know why don't this is so hard. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole uh, thing. It's a whole thing. But yeah. um, you know what is interesting is seeing which properties have cosplay every right. year. Right, yeah. And uh, one of the ones that remained very strong, which I think is very interesting, is Lilo and Stitch. Every year, there's always, without a doubt, you're going to see several... Lilo and Stitches, and uh, or mostly Lilo's carrying stuffed animals. Um, and also, every year now, for the past four or five years, there's the kid from Up with his sash. Like, yeah. 
I don't I don't know why. Oh, I saw several of them this year. Did you not see them? No, no, I didn't. Oh, I did. Yes, I saw several. But that's a good costume. It is a good costume. One year we saw the somebody was the kid and the other person, their partner, was the house. That's cool. Yeah. With the balloons, which was pretty awesome. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. But um, but it's interesting because they're and, – and Disney is a strong, you know – contender and the and the cosplay battles at, Com- at Comic-Con. Um, but it's always interesting which ones stick and which ones don't, you know? Which, yeah. Like, I would never guess that there would be more Lilo and Stitch than Frozen. But definitely well, more Lilo and Stitch than Frozen. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, that that just tells me that Disney needs to start development on its Lilo, Lilo and Stitch live action oh God, adaptation no and no, that'll that happen sequel, shame on you for putting that into the universe Noel. yeah, yeah. okay Look we need to, move to that on everyone to a um, new topic before yeah. Noel makes that happen but i think too, i've already though, made it happen it's it's happening <laughs> for that same thing though it was as i was walking the floor the the floor was um i love going to artist alley it's one of my favorite probably my favorite thing to do every year and um it is really interesting to see what like because i i couldn't find any adventure time at all and i found um only one artist who had anything steven universe and that's a show that's currently running and that's running strong um so it's interesting to see what art sticks as well and what doesn't because some things you can always find, and some things will be currently running, and we'll have big fan base, but like no one has art on it. Yeah. So yeah, it's always uh yeah, it's a bit of a crapshoot. It's not always what you might expect, but it's okay because then you just get someone to commission it, and it's fine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what not? If you made time for it, like what non TV stuff did you get to see? If you made time for anything. Oh, well, I feel like one of our big highlights was on Friday yeah. night, we went to see the San Diego Symphony perform oh, the score cool. to Galaxy Quest. That live. was awesome. And it was lovely. That was at the Jacobs Center, which is their hall in San Diego that they perform at. And uh, they had, uh, we, we got some wine and beer and popcorn, uh, which was delightful. And what was fun about that is that the crowd was really receptive. We were wondering if it, they were going to be as receptive since it was in the concert hall venue. As, as compared to the previous performances we've been to, uh, we're at the, their outdoor venue, which apparently Comic-Con won't let them use because <laughs> it's over by the convention center. Boo, Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Boo, Comic-Con, indeed. Boo. Because that's, that's outdoors. And then they can do, like, fireworks and stuff. It's and amazing. It's really cool. It's amazing. Um, but so we were, we didn't know people would be more uh, serious and golf clappy, but they were hooting and hollering along with us in the, in the concert hall. So that's good because that's what it should be. Um, and mm-hmm. that was conducted by the composer of the score. Yeah. Uh, oh, really also cool. really cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a good time. It was definitely a good time. And they had a obviously a live choir as well. Um, so yeah. so in, that's just such a fun movie. It's a perfect movie for the con. And uh, in the score is the that kind of orchestral adventure score that works so well with a live performance. So yeah, that was one of the the really cool non TV things we did. Was there anything else non TV? Did you go to any non TV panel? Well, we went to Art in the Holocaust. Yeah, I well, went you to you went yeah. to that one. Um, how was that? How was that panel? Did it live up to your hopes for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. It was awesome. Um, I, like, was in the room, and then I had to leave for something. And then, like, and there, and I asked her, are there bathroom passes? She's like, that's okay. There's no line. And, like, <laughs> and I leave, right now. and I talk on the phone for five minutes. And then this, like, huge line. I was like, God damn. 
But um, but I did get in, and um, yeah, it was really interesting. They had um, it was a, a panel that they had last year that I was really bummed that I missed out. Um, but uh, hmm, highlights. Uh, they talked about the origin of Captain America, and of um, and of Superman as well. Uh, oh, by, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, by Jewish American artists and the the importance with that, and um, and the role of propaganda in World War Two on the like for the Nazi regime. Regime. Um, they show, and I already knew about this, but uh, I was just interesting to see it again the they had um they showed the the children's book what it's called the the poisonous mushroom i think um that's just this absolutely disgusting children's book that was used to um to foment anti-semitism um so just looking at the role of art in the use of propaganda um in getting like germany ready for the war and then also the american response on that end to get the american public um, interest in the war effort and also um, the art that was created in the concentration camps by Jewish artists mm-hmm. um, and some who survived and some who did not uh, so that it was really interesting to just hear about the the use of art in a different context now I was in that panel last year which was terrific uh, last year the questions were pretty great because I, I feel like in a panel like that there is a potential for really really stupid and unfortunate listener questions audience questions at the end um how did they do this year you know there wasn't time for questions because um one of the guys like just like kept talking Mm -hmm. um which was a little bit annoying because he knew the time limits and then i mean i didn't have a question to ask but people were lined up uh yeah it was just kind of like i'm like okay you know so, uh, yeah, there was not time for audience questions because they, they went right up to the wire. So mm-hmm. Okay. But a receptive audience. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads, like, kind of segs really nicely into what I want to ask next and on a number of different fronts. But tell me about the Terror, terror Infamy uh, panel, Kate, because your tweets were interesting and your text messages to me were also, like, WTF. <laughs> <laughs> but well, first give me good things about the terror panel and then tell me the bad things about the audience okay. <laughs> yeah i will um okay so the terror infamy panel was really good uh, maggie unfortunately was not able to make it to that one um but it was it was it was really good um you know how hyped we were for for yes. terror infamy i'm even more hyped now which is good uh well actually it's probably bad um because then, you know, it's easy to go into these things with unreal expectations and just over-the-top expectations. But uh, the Terror Infamy panel started with um, a trailer that looks terrific. And then they brought out the the uh, showrunner, the uh, co-EPs, and the, um, the some of the cast, main cast, including George Takei, who also served as is a, is a supporting cast member and serves as a consultant for historical accuracy. Um, so, so what was interesting about the panel? There was just there was very much a focus on the respect being paid to the material and an awareness of it. The uh, uh, showrunner 
is uh, talked about how he initially was going to turn down the job because he's not Japanese American. He's Chinese American. And he felt like, you know, probably he shouldn't be telling this story. They should find a Japanese American showrunner to do it. Um, but then he was won over based on some of the themes about uh, immigration outside of the specific Japanese American context. Um, so it looks like he's done a good job so far, but you know, you never can trust promotional material. We'll see what happens. Sure. Um, but so having um, like, just it's it's just so easy as a very white girl in America. It's so easy to forget how close we are to these things, especially as concentration camps are back in America right now. Um, but the cast was talking about like their grandparents were internment cam- were in internment camps and were in some of the specific ones that the story is about. Um, and having that direct personal connection to that experience is just so it's, it's when you're learning about the stuff in history, it's so easy to dis history classes and stuff in school. It's very easy to distance yourself from it. If you don't have a specific personal tie or like a friend or a family member with a distinct personal tie to it. So um, that was really striking. And when, when I was in college, one of my roommates, um, she has a family that were in the camps and this is uh, something the internment camps has always been a very important topic to her and something that she always is uh, engages with when she has the opportunity to to spread awareness and so it was interesting that they that like the lead his family was in internment camps um and so that i think that's just a really fascinating thing that i was glad that they talked about um also they made a point to say that everyone in the cast who plays someone of japanese american um, who, who who is Japanese American or someone of Japanese descent is played by someone of Japanese descent, but they they aren't all Japanese American. They're Japanese Canadian. They're Japanese Australian. They're Japanese all sorts of different countries yeah. around the world. And so that I thought that that was interesting certainly. And um, then there was just different discussions of some of the other themes in the the piece. I mean, just watching the trailer, it's you don't. It's again, it's so easy to forget how whitewashed your history book is and your your media is until you see a trailer for a, a show like this where the main character is a photojournalist or a photographer in 1940s and the character is Japanese American and you're just it's some racist part of your brain expecting there to be an accent and then there's there's no why would he have an accent that doesn't make any sense and you're like oh <laughs> racism <laughs> that's why that's because because of the portrayals that I always see in TV especially in a t- period piece that's those are the expectations that it's so easy to have and i don't know it was just really great to see um and it looks like it's well made the trailers are really good the um they talked about some of the costuming that was really fascinating too like this one character has this insane kimono that took like a half an hour to get into and then like mm-hmm. several hours of hair and makeup yeah. to do um that was just like gorgeous so they were talking about that too but um the they also then showed the first scene like the cold oh. open of the, of the premiere yeah. and it looked no it looks so pretty <laughs> and also i was watching part of it from behind my fingers which is what you want you know in a, yeah. in a genre horror kind of thing but it was just it was a really it was really um good and interesting panel i thought it was very well done the room it was initially looking kind of thin which was disappointing but it did start to fill up a little bit more right before the panel so hopefully you know, that shows some interest. There was not as much as I would have hoped for. 
um, at the con. Um, but no, I certainly, the people in the room seemed pretty hyped and knowing how excited we were going into it, you know, like the knowledge that, that yes, it's the same, like there's, it's the same property. It's the same show. It, obviously there's some of the same producers, right. That, that were involved in that terrific first season, but that doesn't mean that the second season is necessarily going to be any good because it's a completely right. different creative team. For the most part, um, so seeing that no, they look like they're in very sure, they have very sure footing, and they are have a clear vision, and like the cinematography is gorgeous. I like what I heard from, so far from the score. The acting looks good. Um, yeah, it it it's certainly back, you know, because I was excited about it, but I wasn't like it's gonna be so good. I was like, this should be very interesting. Now I'm yeah. like, it's gonna be so good. Yeah, well, where is it being shown? AMC. Okay. You gonna watch? Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how to work my cable. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Okay. We'll figure it out so that you can watch. All right. Sounds good. Good. Um, but you did tell me about like some not great stuff that was happening at that panel too. Oh well, that wasn't at the panel. That was on oh, okay. social media. Oh. Okay. So yes, apparently there. Uh, I because I was tweeting about uh the some of the things that they were saying the the panel was saying. Um, about because somebody came up and asked if there were going to be a lot, if there were going to be thematic connections between season one and season like obviously it's a different setting and it's a different cast but like are there going to be thematic ties between the seasons and the showrunner joked that like if you loved season one it's a you it's a completely different team I can't even <laughs> to tell you it's a, it's none none of that is going to be in season two um, mm. but and he was just kind of kidding and then talked a little bit about the thematic connections but um but some people on on twitter immediately took offense that um they were being insulted and like hey maybe don't piss off your loyal season one fan base kind of a thing and it's like uh, apparently there's some resentment uh some serious resentment in season uh, amongst diehard terror fans online about the way that season two is being promoted because uh basically because it's getting this big push right yeah. i think i think basically they didn't know what they had on their hands in season one they didn't anticipate that it was going to be so well received and get so much critical buzz and everything right. um and break through the way that it did and so then now so they didn't push it as much they did some at pr- promotion but not as much and now in season two it's getting a much bigger push because of the success of season one. And so some of the, some of the fans are very upset (laughs) that season two is getting so much more promotion than season one did, especially the focus on like this under discussed topic and, and undercovered under like discussed and covered in, in, in historical like representation period piece kind of stories, um, this setting and everything. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder why you're so upset that season two set in the focusing on the internment camps is getting a lot of focus. And that's really, really upsetting to you. You feel like you're being lectured and, uh, insulted as soon as someone says that it's going to be different than season one. I wonder what could be motivating that. What do you think, Noel? <laughs> Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. One, I think that AMC just doesn't do a good job promoting its first season shows anymore. Mm -hmm. But Um, doesn't that happen for all shows? I mean, every show and, like, every, like, book series, like, you gain steam as you get more of a following. That's just... Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely an element of that, but I also think, like, a lot of AMCs, especially last year, a lot of their first season shows just didn't get a lot of promotion, like... Terror didn't get a lot of promotion. That hotel show that Kate and I still haven't watched. Lodge 49. 
Lodge 49. Didn't really get a lot of promotion outside of if you were watching AMC. And so the fact that they're making a larger push for the terror indicates, again, that they're aware that they've got something on their hands, that there's a fan base. But it also indicates that, oh, we have a horror show that's actually scary and isn't The Walking Dead, Um, (laughs) which I think is also a really good thing for AMC to do from a marketing perspective of pushing a new series. But a lot of this sounds like, A, you don't understand how the television television industry works, and B, that you're kind of racist. (laughs) <laughs> yep yep maybe examine that <laughs> yeah i was yeah. just examining my own internalized racism maybe take a look inward and wonder why you're so angry you're so very angry that this show that you love is getting promoted now yeah, yeah. anyway yeah, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be upset about that you should be thrilled yeah um i certainly am like the fact that they were at san diego comic-con is massive yeah um i mean having the walking dead there is fine etc you accept it but he for something like this especially a brand new show basically and being like we've got a ghost story but also history (laughs) it's like um an important history and it's like no, this is really good and really important. And there are a number of things like you were just talking about with the um with the Holocaust, recurring Holocaust um art panel that this is something that at least the con is mildly aware of and is interested in promoting, even outside of being a media junket, basically. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really good and really exciting. Um Yeah, tell me about some other things that you both found really interesting. Uh tell me about that Steven Universe panel, because that sounded great and that trailer. Can we just talk about how the anta- the antagonist looks like they have come from a late 1930s, early 1940s um, cartoon with their like very flexible kind of stretchy arm physicality that just immediately went, that's Steamboat fucking Willie stuff. <laughs> it looks really good. And I am here for this much more liquidy, flexible approach to what a gym is literally or whatever is happening here as opposed to the hardness of the gems um, the high-ranking gems that we've seen before but tell me about the panel your impressions on the trailer tell me about estelle singing just tell me all of it <laughs> go for it mm-hmm. um yeah you know it was I, okay i'm sorry like it was okay it was like mm-hmm. um it didn't um I don't know. It didn't blow my mind. I, I thought the I'm excited for the movie. Um, I thought the trailer was uh, really cool. Um, so nothing, nothing negative whatsoever. But um, I don't know. It was okay. Well, I mean, when we have the the musical panel to compare it to in our brains, it's never going to live up to that. Well, and you know, too. Um, and I think that what the moments I get more excited for seeing the songs, like for example, we saw when Here Comes a Thought was premiered. For the first time and um i like um i like the the songs that are more personal and have more kind of social emotional issues like that they're talking about because i yeah. use them a lot in my classroom as well um those are the ones that really touch me like i've been listening to and playing um what's it called again the Time adventure no well that yes but the change one. Oh, change your mind. Change your mind. Like I think that that one's like thirty seconds, and, and I think that one's so beautiful. So, uh, so those are more the songs I gravitate to. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not more excited right now. No, I I thought it was good, but uh, it didn't um it didn't blow my mind. 
I'm really excited for the trailer. Um, I liked the what, what it looks like we're going to be getting in the movie. I'm happy that it's a musical, which you know we talked about last week. I wasn't anticipating, so that was a neat surprise uh, when I first figured that out. We announced that a while ago. Just for whatever reason, I missed that news. Um, the panel itself was fun, um, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't as personal and emotional as the, some of the panels have been yeah. in the last few years. Um, there, there were some pretty good audience Q and A and some fun answers from the panel. The music, though, in the previous years, the performances have been Rebecca Sugar almost entirely on uke, which necessitates a much more uh, intimate, personal sound because it's just, yeah. just a smaller instrument. And she was instead playing guitar this time, which she's been teaching herself, and that's cool. Which I think that's cool. Yeah, super fun. And the the new Estelle song was fun, and it's not. I mean, it's. The it's not as immediately impactful as like as uh, here comes the thought. Like we also saw them premiere here comes the thought, right? Um, but stripped down on you and time adventure as well, which yeah. was really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. But then when you hear like the bigger, more produced versions of it, though they're less. At least for me, they're less they're less uh, memorable and less impactful. You lose that rawness. You lose that <laughs> uncut vinyl demo experience that just gets at the core. So basically, they they were it was nice and it was fun, mm-hmm. um, but it was uh, you know again we maybe we're just jaded now. We've been doing this for a while. So. I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I don't think so. I don't know. It was it was. I mean, I'm very happy that I went, um, but it was I, it. It was fine. It, it was, was fine. It was, it was okay. It was fine. Yeah. 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 It didn't feel like you were, if you watched the panel on YouTube, I don't know that you necessarily miss anything out that you would if you had been in the room. You know, like so the last previous year and certainly the year before, there was a definite energy in the room that um, you just doesn't come through in the, the videos on YouTube. But this yeah. time I would say you're probably going to gonna catch it i like that it was in the bigger room though i like those in the bigger room too i think just it felt very kind of the questions and the answers felt kind of stop and go we had there was like a pause there's a lot that they couldn't say because people kept asking questions where the answers were going to be spoilers um and so you know there was less of a dialogue that they could really engage with and maybe that's because they're at such a stop point and then the movie is the start of something new so it could be that too yeah that makes sense yeah. Um so yeah, what, do you what mean else? about the trailer? Yeah. Oh, um I thought it was good. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry Steven's guys. Steven's got a neck. Okay. I'm, I'm a super big Steven fan. But... Steven and Greg are definitely fusing, right? That's what that rock out moment is going to be. That has to be what's happening there and I'm very excited for I'm that. I'm fascinated like. to see what that's going to look like. I'm expo- I'm excited for universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah universe whatever. rock yeah. or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's some other stuff like that that I. It's what September September second second. Yeah, so that's what's coming up. If it's not a gem or a rock of some kind that is common to um, comets, I'm just gonna be pissed because <laughs> he's just a comet, man. He's yeah. just a comet, indeed, indeed. Um, other fun panels. Um, what did you think of the His Dark Materials panel? Oh, um, which we did not expect to be able to just waltz right into, but we that were. was yeah, that yeah. was really cool. I mean, and that was my first time in a Hall H. That was cool. Um, I was glad to be able to get that experience um, without 
you know, doing any lining stuff. So uh, his dark materials is coming up. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm, I'm trying not to raise my expectations too high because I don't want to be disappointed. Um, I really, really love the series. Um, I've always the book, the book series. I've always been really fascinated by. I, I love just the questions that they bring up and sure. the discussions that they have. I think it's really interesting, and um, the idea of like having demons and stuff. Also, uh, I was a really big Animorphs fan, guys. <laughs> so you stayed too long as the hawk, Tobias. Don't do I know. it. I know. It's too late. Rachel needs you. Um. Anyway, so yeah, no, but I've always loved that series. Uh, the The panel was great; it was really interesting. I like the, I really like the promotional material they had for that. Um, the I thought all of the cast, um, I thought all of the cast was good. Um, but the like hands down, the one who really stood out to me was, was the polar name- bear. Yeah. No, bear. no, I'm sorry. They, they didn't have the, the polar, polar bear. bear was very chatty. Bit. You only saw he didn't, him for a little he bit. He barely answered the fan questions. Just total deep. Yeah. No, no, um the the <laughs> Ruth, Ruth Wilson. Ruth Wilson. Is that Tom Hanks one? No, no, that's Rita Wilson. That's Rita oh, Wilson. Oh, my bad, my bad. Um is, so is it, wait, no. What what's it what's that her name? What's her name? Rita Wilson, yeah. No, that no. Sounds right. Ruth Ruth Wilson, yeah. Is that right? Okay. I I was doubting myself for a Dude, so she looks, wow, she looks great. And just from the first shot of her in the trailer, you're like, oh, you're you're so evil. Oh, I'm so here for this. Like, she's really, really good. She has that good air about her anyway. And she's also just like, oh, I get to play something different than the affair. (laughs) (laughs) That's, well, and isn't she on Luther? Yeah. Yeah, That's and she's good. very good on Luther. So yeah, I've never yeah. seen that one. So yeah. she she just looked fascinating. Like, well, I just want to watch you. Um, and then uh, what's his face? Who's the who's the dad? What's the, the actor's name? James McAvoy. Um, does a very entertaining Snow Leopard he impression. He was very charming. He was the only one on the cast where I was like, uh, you just don't look scary to me. I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but he was very uh, he was very nice and very charming on the panel. Yeah, one of my favorite moments was when they asked the panel what their demon would be, and mm-hmm. everybody gave entertaining answers, and I was enjoying the different um, reactions that the, the rest of the panel had to other people's thing. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, the, the, the lead, uh, Daphne, I don't remember her last name, was playing Lyra. She said some sort of like a bouncy monkey and everybody's like yep yep that's right um <laughs> but the best answer of course was lin-manuel miranda who said pizza rat is his yes. demon that he knows be... where it's at yeah. <laughs> i was like that is delightful and this is and why he's, he's not throwing away that pizza rat is not throwing away his shot pizza rat's like i got a pizza. <laughs> yeah i got yeah, it. that's right yeah <laughs> so that was a fun one. Oh, i mean we gotta talk i feel like we haven't mentioned the biggest thing yeah yet, which is noel we got to see Sesame Street live. <gasps> cool. Yeah. yeah. We were yeah. like row F. It was a it was a very small theater. Dead I'd, center. We'd never been in the Horton Grand before. And they only had, how many seats do you think there were? There how were like rows? max 10 rows. Yeah. It was very small, very intimate. Like we were right there. Um, that was really special. That was awesome. Spoiler alert. The Muppeteers are very good at their jobs. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Bobby Moynihan was the uh, like the celebrity guest host, and he did he a was, he really was good job. Good, yeah, almost like he has uh, like decades of live 
comedy experience. Um, and decades, uh, years and years and years yeah. at least. Um, so he did a really good job and was super fun. The the, the writing was really on point for Comic Con. They threaded the needle for like kids and adults really well. They knew the tone to hit for Comic Con. Um, so yeah, that was really fun. And then just the, the, like the, obviously the, the performances, watching them do all that was really neat. Cause I imagine normally if you see it live, you don't actually get to see the people cause they have yeah. like state, you know, it's like the way they set it up, but this was just because it was a small theater is really stripped down. So they're just like in black and holding the different yeah. puppets and stuff. So very Avenue Q. Yeah, no, that's how you do puppeteering when you're on stage is everyone's in black turtlenecks. Yeah. <laughs> but it was super fun. And then Maggie, Got to meet them. Oh, and, and Maria was there too. We should mention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, and just from the show though, they they and I hope they put it up online because it was oh, it was so funny and it's a perfect snapshot. If anyone asks you what's Comic Con like, just show them this. They had like you know the Elmo reports segments. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, Elmo reported live from the floor. I I am old enough to remember back when Kermit did that in a trench mm-hmm. coat and a press fedora. Mm-hmm. And, oh. Yeah. So yeah. sorry. Anyway. It was yeah, funny no, watching I'm Elmo. I'm old. I'm old. Anyway. <laughs> Elmo trying to get a stormtrooper to respond to things. Yeah. yeah. And he just wouldn't. It was just wouldn't. delightful. Oh, and you have to tell about the dad and the two Oh, girls. yeah. So, so, so like, there's some, some Daenerys's in cosplay that Elmo was interviewing, which was funny, in, in, including asking them to spell their name, which <laughs> took a while. <laughs> they were like, wait a second. <laughs> they had to think about it. Um, but then the, the probably the highlight of that little segment was uh, Elmo asking, like, this little, like, what, 10? 10-year-old girl? Nine. And nine yeah. even, maybe even a little younger. Maybe like nine and 12, not Yeah, and, and then there was there were two siblings and then the dad, two girls and, the, and then their dad. And so they said... What he, Elmo asked, like, what are you most excited for? What's your favorite thing at Comic Con? And like the nine year old goes, The Walking Dead. <laughs> and Elmo just goes, You let her watch The Walking Dead? <laughs> to the dad. To the dad. Hilarious. And the dad's like, uh. And then they asked the 12 year old, What are you most excited about? The Walking Dead. <laughs> and Elmo's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was delightful. It was and then, he, then Elmo goes to the dad and he says, What's your favorite? And then Elmo says, The Walking Dead. And the dad's like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i'll have stuff. to look for this as soon as we get off this recording yeah yeah, no, yeah that was that was great but no afterwards they uh well yeah saturday so like later that day they had signings and um so i got um i got some artwork commissioned because i always like doing that instead of the photos because i feel like it's more personal sure. and more interesting um and then uh and then i had the the cast that was there sign it uh, and everyone is really nice, but like, oh my god, though, like legit, you heard it here. Elmo is incredible. The, his name is Ryan. I forget his last new name. New Elmo. This is not yeah, the new Elmo. No, 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 new yeah. Elmo. Yes. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like he just, you know, when you're doing those lines and stuff, it can feel like a little awkward, you know, because. I am a fan. Because it's an awkward, a little bit, yeah. a little bit of an awkward situation. But, you know, and people are like, nah, I've never met anyone who was like a jerk. Um, but, and people are nice. But, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit weird. And, um, and he just like, like looks you straight in the eye, says, hi, my name's Ryan, like takes your hand and shakes it and just like actually looks at you. I don't know how to explain it. There's like this energy, but, um, and I was kind of having like, um, it was like a little bit of a rough day. For some other disappointments for line waitings and everything and like 
it was just, I don't know. He's just magic. It was really special. So, and that takes a lot, a lot of um, energy. I can't, like, that would exhaust me. And I saw him doing that for, like, everyone else in mine, too. So, hats off to, uh, and he was, like, by far the funniest, like, hands down on the yeah. improv and everything as well. Um, so well, yeah, Dylan, Dylan's got a really extensive background, um, in puppetry and improv, I think. So Ryan Dylan's the guy mm-hmm. who um, mm-hmm. handles Elmo now after <sighs> Kevin Clash. That's mm-hmm. who it was. Kevin Clash. That's was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, so it, he was awesome. Big fan. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. It was good times. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are our main highlights. We had some disappointments. Comic-Con was conspiring against us in, in a really irritating way, uh, as far as like, there were a number of times we went to a panel that looked like it should be great and then really yeah, was stupid. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah. Like, we, we we went to one uh, panel that we were expecting to be really insightful and interesting, and it wasn't. And instead, so we went, um, after that one finished, and we were all like, oh, I was expecting that to be better, huh? Um, we went over to get to the next one and caught the very last few minutes of the uh disabled representation panel which was really okay cool. which was awesome yeah it was awesome that which was so cool one. and then the panel after that we were actually there for which was about mental health was not good no it was not good. <laughs> we're like darn it mm-hmm. we, we guessed wrong and so we actually ended up leaving that one and went to a different one that ended up being good but it was just like there were a number and like just missing out on things. We did karaoke at the Steven Universe karaoke thing, which was fun and all, but like they, there was no way that you could take any video of yourself you performing. Couldn't you couldn't yourself hear yourself. Like, just some different things where it, it, you know, it was cool, but it, not like what you thought it, it would be. It would it, just like a couple of tweaks would have made it way better. Yeah. So. But a good idea yeah. for sure. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh-huh. just a, a mixed bag. But oh, I was saying, let's, let's throw a bone out for that promoter. There was this, oh, um, yeah. there was this uh, young lady uh, lady who was in charge of running the karaoke yeah, Steven Universe karaoke booth and she was doing and, a great job and she was killing it she was killing she it was, so most really the nice karaoke J or KJ KJ yes yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> indeed um, but I think that's it is there anything else that sticks out for the con for you Besides, obviously, we found a delicious Peruvian restaurant that had nice. real good pisco oh, sours. They had a real, oh, yeah. So Maracuja if anyone, sour. let's, let's, throw that, let's throw that bone out. Um, so for anyone who's in San Diego, Machu Picchu, which is right by the convention center, like right, right in the gas lamp, right, in the gas like lamp, right by that, like, like that arc, the enormous like, that. like arc that they have. Just go right there. Um, they were there last year, but they moved to a more central location. Uh-huh. Um yeah, uh, like pricey. Although they might have been, may might have raised it for the con too. You think? But I don't know. But I don't know. We but, spent but, too much money there. But the reason but we did is because those drinks were good. They were really yeah. good. <laughs> there also was uh, there's a speakeasy that we yeah, were introduced to that was very tasty, which is in Hillcrest, not by the downtown area at all. Mm-hmm. But it's in the back of a taqueria, and it's called Cachet. And if you're in San Diego and looking for a strong and affordable drink and delicious and delicious, go to Cachet. Okay. But they close at midnight, which is like, that seems kind of early. But anyways, they didn't oh. kick us out until 1230, though. We didn't realize yeah, they, they were, closed they at midnight. they were really nice about it. Um, yeah. That place was awesome. And then also, also, um, this is just on my part, but I had never had a taco with a, like, legit corn tortilla before. Like handmade, fresh, fresh oh, handmade. Oh, nice. Those are the best. Oh my gosh! And now everything else is going to taste like trash. Yes, yes, it will. Yeah, it, it will. will. So if anyone, it was called Vecindad, 
Um, especially if the first time we went, that's when I felt it was really yeah. fresh. Oh, and it was happy hour too. So three fifty uh, tequila shots and <laughs> six dollar margaritas. Yeah. Yeah. So vesting that yeah. in wow, San Diego. all and... things I hate. Um, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Yeah. No, um, if uh... not drink there, I'll drink at the speakeasy instead. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Why not do both? Uh, um, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. If anyone has any, like, I don't even know places. I'm sure there must be because Chicago has a, like a huge Mexican and Mexican American community. So if anyone knows. Of a place that does fresh tortillas for their tacos, please let the Talvers know. I will pass it along. Yes, I'm serious. I'm I'm not kidding. Yeah, because I would like to eat that again. Yeah, yeah. So and breakfast at Breakfast Republic always enjoyable, always, always delicious. Delightful. Yeah, shout out to Dude, their their breakfast mac and cheese. Gosh, yeah, so good, so good. Yeah, lighter than you'd think. Yeah, um, yeah. But not heavy, not <laughs> shout out heavy. to friends of the show, Jason, the TV holic, and and Kyle from No Reruns, and of course David um, from uh, from Battleship Pretension, and uh, and everybody else who I don't think have Twitter things, so I won't mention them. But Natalie and Gary, you are also awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it was just it was a it was a good time catching up with people as well. Good. I'm really glad you both seem to have a really, really good time yeah. on top of just all the good food. Yeah, we also just like hung out and played nerd music for several hours on Wednesday. Yeah. We got two dollars. We got oh, we got a tip. Two. And Count we them. we weren't even busking because yes. that requires a license that we did not have, a permit. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty We're just hanging sweet. out. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. good times. Good times at Comic Con. Mm-hmm. On that note, we should wrap up this episode here because we've been going for a while. Hmm. So thank you, Maggie, for oh. returning to the podcast and wrapping oh, up another Comic Con season. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Noel, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>